Welcome back, everybody. You are tuned into the Bones Brigade audio show. I am Larry, and with me, as always, is Matt. Matt, what's cooking, buddy? Not much, man. How are you doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Cool. So people may have noticed by the you know the episode title and the little graphic mm-hmm. that got them here um, we kind of got a different type of show today maybe you want to explain that a little bit to the yeah people? sure yeah we're we're rolling out this is something that larry and i kind of have talked about for a long time we, we kind of toyed with you know kind of in the middle of the video review episodes or we were going to wait till we we're done with all the videos some opportunities presented themselves to get some interviews in some kind of standalone interviews so we decided to roll it out uh, and kind of pepper them into the uh, the video review episode. So <clears throat> we're going to be doing this new series on the show called The Intelligence Report. I'm sure you all know where we got that name from. Yep. Uh, the Intelligence Report episodes will be basically standalone interview episodes uh, with people and, you know, uh, different skaters or, you know, people from the uh, Paul Peralta universe. And uh, this is going to be our first one today. So our, our inaugural episode for the uh, Intelligence Report, we're going to be kind of bringing these out here and there. They're going to land kind of on the same days that the uh, episode reviews come out. So we're going to just sort of change it up a little bit and mix it up and uh, it'll be cool. Yeah. You want to tell them who the the guest is today? Yeah. Guest is uh, is the one and only Daniel Gesmer, our, uh, our friend from, from Public Domain. You all are familiar with his part. And uh, Dan was kind enough to come on the show uh, with Larry and I and um, yeah, just kind of give us his story and, you know, talk about, uh, you know, yeah, reactions. It seems to be a very misunderstood skate park, yeah, you know, so definitely. we're here to kind of clear the air and give people some more background and history on it to help, you know, people figure it all out, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, we're really excited to talk to him here in a little bit. Indeed. All right. A couple things I wanted to mention uh, before we have Dan on, it was a uh, Stacy Peralta has a new documentary film out, and I, that's pretty exciting. Definitely. He's always got great stuff cooking. The new film is called The Yin and Yang of Jerry Lopez, who is a, a surfer. So it's a new surf documentary. And I thought I would uh, read the description real quick for the film. Jerry Lopez, Mr. Pipeline, is one of surfing's most enigmatic heroes, a Zen Buddhist on land who built his early career on aggressive surfing. Patagonia Films, The Yin and Yang of Jerry Lopez, directed by award-winning filmmaker Stacy Peralta, follows one of the most influential surfers and surfboard shapers of all time as he brings surfing to new frontiers while pursuing stillness of body and mind. Come ride the lightning. So I've watched the trailer. There's a trailer online. Looks uh, super good. And as of recording this uh, intro or the show, I should say, the film is on tour. So, you know, coming up, you know, there's Dallas, New York City, Vancouver, Palo Alto, Boulder, Colorado, San Francisco, on and on and on. So if you go to patagoniafilms.com, it has all the dates there. So maybe you, people out there can catch a screening. I'm not sure if Stacy's touring with the film. I know when it premiered, they had like a big Q and A and stuff with him, but yeah, that'd sure. be cool. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's on the road or not. And one other thing I wanted to bring up is a couple great uh, episodes of the Hawk versus Wolf podcast, and that, of course, is Tony Hawk and Jason Ellis's podcast. Recent episodes have got Mike McGill on, and then another recent one with Colin McKay. So if you're looking for more kind of Bones Brigade related content and some fun stories of back in the day, you should uh, check those shows out. I mean, you should be listening to podcast every week, every week anyway. So definitely. Yeah, it's a good time. We got to talk about that photo that that's popped up though. Yes. Yeah. So people have been texting me like wanting, think I have some kind of inside scoop. I mean, (laughs) I guess I could reach out to some people and I'm sure they would, uh, they wouldn't tell you, they wouldn't tell you anything. (laughs) No, you don't think so. (laughs) Didn't you reach out to Lance? You reached out to Lance in advance of that animal chin, uh, the chin ramp rebuild. Yeah. He had to play dumb and he he pretended he didn't know anything about it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, because you and I remember you and I talking about it. We're like, what's going on? Well, that came up in the our chin episode too. I think. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's a photo of Stacy and I'll call him the the fearsome fivesome. Mm-hmm. You know, Tommy Guerrero, Mike McGill, Tony Hawk, Steve Caballero, Lance Mountain, uh, in Hollywood somewhere. It looked like they were on a recent Zoom call all together uh, recently as well. So it looks like something's cooking. I wonder if it's like a 
skateboarding hall of fame thing maybe or something like that could be maybe they're being inducted as a group as a group yeah because they'll induct like a company or a magazine yeah. so maybe the bones they're Brigade such an iconic group. yeah it's such an iconic crew of, of guys mm-hmm. you know so that was my initial thought was like there, there's something like that going on that's totally just speculation but yeah yeah when do they do the awards or whatever i, feel I like have they no just idea kind of had that recently yeah i don't know yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's it's fun it's to cool. speculate something's, about. I yeah. guess. Yeah, so I'm sure up. they're up to something. I could take a few more guesses, but I don't want to spread oh, any kind of. They're rebuilding the Fallbrook ramp at Woodward. <laughs> Tony's <laughs> Tony's ramp. That's it. Yeah, yeah, but no, I, cool. I'm sure as more uh, details come out, we will we'll mention it on the mention show it. for sure. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. All right. Did you have anything else at the at the top of the show? No, I don't think so. Let's get to it. Let's get to, right. let's get let's, Dan on here and let's bring in Dan. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show Daniel Gesmer. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Great to have you with us. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. So we're here to talk about uh, Dan's appearance in the video Public Domain. But I thought before we talked about that, I think we need to go back in time a little bit and uh, get a little more background. So I thought we'd just start with the generic, uh, how did how did you get into skateboarding? Oh gosh, this is so many decades ago now. Like the video <laughs> itself was almost 35 years ago. Yeah. And I started skating, you know, in the in the mid 70s. So that's, I'm dating, I, you know, I'm, one gets afraid to even count, right? So this is over 45 years ago that I started skateboarding and um, roughly 76, 77. And uh, back in those days, Flatland Freestyle was still, you know, one of the uh, preeminent events. And my hero was Russ Howell, who was like the king of handstands in 360s. Those were the cool moves, you know, at, at that during that little window of time. That was the barometer of your uh, overall skill as a skater. I was in the Midwest uh, growing up in uh, Rockford, Illinois. Definitely the boonies in terms of uh, skateboarding at that at that time and um, didn't have much access to, to ramps, certainly no access to pools or skate parks. Flatland freestyle was a natural thing for me to gravitate to. And I was really uh, impressed and inspired by the early uh, mid 70s pioneers of Flatland freestyle, uh, who were mostly focused on rolling and more fluid maneuvers. Partly because at that time the equipment was so bad, it couldn't easily support board flipping and flying maneuvers. Uh, at this time, for example, the Ollie had not been invented yet. The old school kickflip had just barely been invented. Mm-hmm. And, you know, rail stands had just barely been invented. What were some of the other skaters that were influencing you? Oh, gosh. When you mentioned I- Russ Howell. Ty Page was amazing. Uh, Bruce Logan was all over the magazines. Laura Thornhill was somebody who had an influence on me. I saw her perform at an exhibition in, at, at, at Six Flags theme park around 77, 78. So many. Skitch Hitchcock. And mind you, during this era, there were no videos. It was mm-hmm. just print magazines. Yep. And for somebody in the Midwest, you know, those monthly issues of Skateboarder magazine were, you know, a lifeline to what was going on in this other part of the, of the country, which might as well have been another planet. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so inaccessible to me as like this 13, 14 year old kid in, in Illinois. Those were, you know, a long list of names. Like anybody who was pictured in Skateboarder magazine in those days was de facto super cool and influential. Yeah. Um, but I kept going back to, you know, R- Russ Howell, among a few others, his primary influence, because because the guy was just so powerful and so athletic. And he was also writing articles for the early issues of the magazine, talking about, um, you know, how, how, how do you structure a flatland freestyle routine? You know, he was thoughtful and articulate, and he, he was one of the primary things that drew me into um, that discipline. I'll skip a few things because uh, otherwise I'll be talking here for three or four hours. Um, but the, you know, in general, as the years rolled on, as you know, seventy six and seventy seven shaded into seventy eight, seventy nine, eighty, equipment started getting a little better, and uh, the techniques started evolving. For example, you know, the ollie was invented. 
uh, both on flat ground and um, in pools, you know, various types of rail stand, you know, on flatline freestyle, various types of rail stands and, and edge stands started uh, being developed. And I, I had this, uh, I, I think it might've just been my fundamental makeup that I was more interested in this graceful fluid artistry that had dominated in, in the mid seventies and before that, and even in the sixties, it was more akin to ice figure skating. Mm-hmm. And I saw that that was uh, kind of being lost gradually, or at least diluted, let's say, Okay. Uh, as the as the the board flippery was getting more and more technical, and I didn't have much vocabulary to think or talk about that at first, but I knew I wanted to like hold on to that kernel or that core and kind of build on it. Over the years, uh, you know, as I finished high school and got into college, I had the the idea, good or not, to like, hey, let's uh, let's take a look at what people are doing in ice figure skating and in and concert dance. Of various types, whether that's ballet or modern dance or whatever, and see if some of what those guys have been doing in uh, much more established art forms, you know, that are like hundreds of years old, and see if some of what they're doing in terms of technique and concepts and structures can be transplanted to skateboards, adapted in some way, so that I can, you know, try try to come up with new ways to um, take that kernel of fluidity from the 60s and 70s and evolve on it, elaborate on it, expand on it. That, in short, is kind of the essence of how I got my start and what led me to the point where uh, I was ready to show something um, interesting, at least in, in public domain. So were you technically trained in, in dance? Or, Not or was at first. I was, a, I was a skateboarder first. Okay. I, I went to ballet later and specifically to train myself up to do um, more artistic movement on the skateboard. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that you know, uh, I, I think of ballet as the hardest sport in the world. I don't think I had any natural gift for it, uh, though I really, really tried. Uh, it's tough, man. You kind of have to be born with the right sort of body. In my case, I had the strength. I could jump. I was comfortable turning and spinning. Uh, I'm somewhat flexible, but I, I've got like a muscly flexibility where I've got to have a lot of force behind it. Um, to do well in ballet, you've got to have this really easy flexibility that I just never had. And you also have to have like really good feet, believe it or not, that are mm-hmm. super flexible and super well-structured. And that's, you either are born with that sometimes or not. I wasn't, I learned what I needed, uh, I think, to uh, take some of it and put some of it on a skateboard. In addition to stuff from ice figure skating, uh, for example, um, I, I'm not sure, uh, Sometimes I forget uh, how much was edited out of the, the passages that were put into public domain from this larger sort of performance that I choreographed and recorded and then gave to Stacy. But uh, for example, um, backwards pumping. I don't know if you guys have seen me do that. Sort of. Yeah, you're doing like a one-legged kind of maneuver where you're going yeah. backwards. Well, that's, that's one thing, uh, you know, pumping the board on one leg in kind of a semi-turned-out position, uh, pumping on two feet where, where both feet are kind of pointed backwards and kind of going heel first, mm-hmm. all that, that is from ice figure skating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I trained, uh, right, right, let's say practiced that almost as much as ballet back in those days, another really difficult sport. So I, you know, essentially I was, uh, again, I was just trying to take Take this kernel that I fell in love with of, of uh, you know, classical flatland freestyle from the mid 70s and, and add a few things to it from other movement disciplines, other forms of kinetic uh, art and, and just kind of build on it and, and try to create something that was, uh, that was more, uh, let's say, refined in a, in a classical artistic sense. That's cool, man. I mean, that's cool because, you know, you think like back in those days, just for somebody to be out there kind of doing something like that, that's very unique, very like nobody else is doing it. And it's not like you had the, you know, like today where you can just film something and put it on YouTube. You're doing it. You're kind of doing it for yourself. Yeah. So like, can you talk a little bit about 
when you were doing that video, uh, it was called uh, 87 Dreams of a Lifetime. Is that correct? Yeah, I gave it that name just because that's the title of the sound of the of the musical piece that I picked. Okay. Uh, from an early, um, they called it New Age Music back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds super corny now. So when uh, you were doing that, what, what was your what was your thought process behind doing that? Was that were you just doing that kind of for yourself to document it? Were you doing that to have like were you filming it for? Well, it's it's a little more complex than that. I was competing on the pro circuit for a little while. Okay. For example, I went to the um, Trans World uh, Skateboard Championships in Vancouver, Canada. Oh yeah, I, the '86 yeah. Expo. Oh really? You were you skated uh, yeah. in the Expo? Yeah, I competed there. That was the first big contest. I competed at at that point in time. And that was uh, a heavy freestyle contest too. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. tough. Uh, and my, uh, my skill set hadn't quite gelled. Like I was, I was okay. Uh, but I was still kind of figuring out how to put pieces together. I was fresh out of college. Uh, scary as hell for me to throw myself into, into that, you know, at, at, onto that kind of stage mm -hmm. uh, when I didn't really have much of a, a, a a background competing at that level. Uh, after that, I, I recorded one or two videos just for myself. And then uh, I found myself uh, at another pro contest in Louisville, Kentucky, but this was uh, summer of 88, I believe. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of it, but it was produced by what was then called the National Skateboard Association or NSA. Yeah, I think that one's called the Bluegrass Aggression Session. <laughs> You may be right. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it was the Don and Daniel Bostick who um, were running it. Anyway, after uh, one of my runs there, and I, I was like pretty good by then, or you know, by my standards, I felt like I, you know, the, the vision had kind of started gelling. I was much smoother than I had been at the '86 uh, Trans World Championships. After one of my runs, uh, I just sidled up to Stacy Peralta, whom I knew a little bit from. Um, previous years. And I just asked him, uh, you know, very openly, Hey, what do you think of what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. My memory is that he didn't answer the question at all. He just said, Hey, how would you like to be in our next video? No way. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, you know, not expecting that. And, you know, it's pretty exciting. And I thought, sure, let's do it. Does he say like, well, I guess he doesn't say, hey, come out to California and I'll film you. Does he send you like, hey, go film something and send it to me? Is that how, how well, it me, worked out? Let me get to that in a minute. Okay. Um, so uh, I remember also from that, that contest, um, the skaters who approached me and kind of gave me high fives, were, were some, you know, some of the more interesting cats like uh, Mark Gonzalez nice. kind of came up to wow. me and wanted to meet and talk. And he was funny. He was so quiet. He just kind of came up to me and said, hi, I'm Mark. And just sort of looked at me and, and that's all he said. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. Hi, Mark. <laughs> you're, you're yeah, great. Easy. And then two of the people who self, who self-destructed in different ways. Um, Christian Hosoy was, you know, very uh, open and encouraging and also um, Gator wow. uh, approached me and, and was very encouraging. And if I, if I remember back to the trans world championships, I, I think it's I think it's good to point out the folks who went out of their way to encourage somebody who is really trying to stretch the envelope, good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was Cab, Steve Caballero has mm -hmm. always been really cool with me and and very uh, very encouraging and supportive. Uh, Lester Kasai as well, nice the guy I remember from the '86 Trans World Championships. Uh, of course, my old friend Jack Smith. Mm -hmm. uh, was more from the, the downhill uh, speed racing. But back, back to the, uh, the Louisville event, you know, after that little chat with Stacy, he was, he was really absorbed um, kind of uh, uh, managing the team, you know, his whole, they had a big team and they were competing at the event. Uh, as the contest wound down, I remember I approached, I think it was Lance Mountain, and I said something like, hey, Stacy asked me to be in the video. I need like some phone number or something. And Lance was like, what? Really? <laughs> like, he didn't believe me. Uh huh. I can't remember how I eventually got Stacy's phone number. I must have just found him and said, hey, give me your number. Uh -huh. um, but I will say that 
a number, uh, I won't name any names, but a number of people on the Bones Brigade team at that time were opposed to including a part for me in, in public domain. Oh, and wow. Casey shared this with me and he was really adamant. He overruled them. Uh, he felt that uh, for whatever his reasons were, he really wanted me or a skater like me in that video. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to think that it was for a couple of reasons. First, I, I think he understood what I was trying to achieve, which was to, to showcase uh, a more artistic approach to flatland freestyle. Let's say a more formally artistic approach to flatland freestyle. I don't want to say that other approaches aren't artistic, but a more classically artistic approach. Uh, and I think he also wanted to uh, drum up some controversy and just see what would happen. Oh, wow. It sure was controversial. Yeah. So he says, let's get you in the video. And then, you know, how does that happen? So I go back to Illinois, you know, and, 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 you know, they're back in California and basically, uh, and this is all over the phone, like over landlines, remember mm-hmm. no cell phones. Yeah. No yeah. Internet. Essentially Stacy gave me a budget. He said, yeah, we can give you this much money. You find a film crew okay. in Illinois and find a place to tape something and and send me the raw footage. So that's that's how it went down. And I found uh, I found a pretty you know, decent film crew. I had worked with them previously, putting together kind of a ten minute long documentary style explanation of what I was trying to do. And we found uh, a roller rink in Chicago that was willing to let us you know rent out the space and. I've only been to that rink twice, the two days that we shot there. I'd never been there before. I didn't know there was a rainbow on the wall. (laughs) Uh, The rainbow on the wall does not reflect my um, personality. Uh, You know, this is sort of, this comes up a lot for me in in these contexts. And and, um, it's always kind of a delicate thing to discuss. We've all got gay friends whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have gay fr- I've had gay friends for decades. I, I, I bat for the, the majority team for whatever it's worth. So for any of you, any of you out there who've had the wrong idea about me for decades, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so um, anyway, back to the filming session, we're, we're there. And I, you know, I, I had, um, you know, planned this out very carefully, you know, which, and, you know, storyboarding um, a video is, you know, it can get kind of technical. Or we're going to shoot this sequence from this angle and then another sequence from another angle and it'll all come together in the editing room. I was as systematic about it as I could be. Uh, one big bummer, though, the uh, the film crew, they did something wrong with, with their microphones and none of the sound was recorded. Ah. Oh, is that right? And I, you know, I, I never really understood what they what what ball they dropped but um stacy was kind of bummed but you know we we worked with it lemonade from lemons and then so what i did is i uh i i studied all the raw footage super carefully and and i created sort of like a blueprint to edit this thing to put all the pieces together so because it really was just recorded in like little little phrases Mm-hmm. not in order okay and so i sent stacy like the the detailed formula take you know take this snippet from time code a to time code b and then you know the other snippet and that's that's what you see in 87 dreams of a lifetime uh stacy just did his own thing and um took a little bit of this a little bit of that and um you know it's a, a lot shorter obviously than yeah, it's yeah. quite quick. It's quite quite short. And he he, he sort of emphasized the um, the the delicate dancey bits more than the um, the the athletic and powerful sections, which you know is a little bit of a bummer to me because I think it kind of supported a certain mis- misunderstanding or misrepresentation of me. But um, you know, I got my 15 minutes hmm. uh, in 1988. I mean, I was I was still pretty stoked. Put me on the map. Uh, as a skater, albeit a super controversial skater, and it's it's always been interesting um, over the over the decades to observe that misapprehensions are are, are kind of kind of ge- geographically concentrated. The European skateboard community has always tended to understand that I was just a, a guy trying to be more artistic on a skateboard. 
a fair amount of the Southern California skateboard intelligentsia really went a whole other uh, to a whole other place where they they made some really extreme assumptions about the kind of guy I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really tough to deal with as a 25 year old straight guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's all, this is also kind of, um, an illustration of how, how our, our culture and society have evolved since then. Uh, at this point in time, gay skaters, uh, or transgendered skaters or gender, whatever language we want to use non-binary, whatever, whoever you are. There seems to be like a, a clear and open and friendly space for those people to sure. occupy. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the late 80s, e- even a straight guy who was misinterpreted to be something else, mm-hmm. there was a lot of hostility. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I can share with you that on, on the YouTube page where 87 Dreams of a Lifetime is posted, I think it was about 10 years ago, somebody, it was only 10 years ago, 2012 or so, somebody posted a death threat. Oh wow. my God. Like a real, I mean, you know, it's clear that that uh, people who go to those lengths typically don't have the guts to follow through. They're, they're just keyboard uh, Conans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, but it shook me up at the time. I, I made a lot of phone calls to different agencies to find out like what are the what, what sort of recourse is there. But I, you know, I, I don't think that kind of thing happens so much anymore. It's weird because, you know, as adults now, we're all 50, you know, for late 40, mid 40s, early 50s, late 50s, wherever we're at. We all have we all have the gift of, you know, having years behind us and wisdom and, and, and you know, just being able to like hindsight and everything, you know, but unfortunately, you know, that the reality is when that video came out, you know, who is the, who is watching it in 1988, you know, it's 13, 12, 12 to 15 year old boys. And you know how kids are like at that age, you know, it's like, you're just, we like, you're, you're, you always want to be like the first guy to be able to take a cheap shot at somebody or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, it, it kind of, it sucks because like, as you, you know, we've talked to a lot of people and I've talked to a lot of people about that part and, you know, I, I, every pe- person I know has seen public domain and, and as the, and as, and, and to a person, it's like, as you get older, everyone's like, oh yeah, that part's awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, that, that, because people like when they, as, as you get older, you, you can look at it more objectively and you can appreciate like what you were trying to do. And like, clearly, like you had this idea, this is what you wanted to do. You wanted to showcase like this kind of dying aspect of the sport and bring this new thing into it. And that was completely, you know, probably eclipsed by just the fact that it was fed to like a wolf pack of juvenile kids in like the eighties. And yeah, which included, you know, some uh, magazine publishers and writers who were older, but you know, still coming from that mindset for, for years and years. Thrasher Magazine's gossip column. What do they call again? The trash column. Yeah, yeah. Not not every issue, but there were a lot of issues where they would they would uh, take a shot at me mm. and call me, you know, fruit this or fruit that, and oh, and uh, you know, I I haven't looked at that magazine in ages. I doubt they're doing that anymore. What did Nietzsche say? Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. So did you ever have any? Was there beyond this video and beyond the talk with Stacy? Like, was there ever any affiliation with Powell that you had? Did you ever ride their products? Did you ever get like a box of product from them? Did they ever like, was there ever any talk of being on the team or, or, you know what I mean? Like, sure. because it was, it was interesting that you were in a video and not really on Powell. And, you know, like when I yeah. said, Lance kind of freaked out, you know, yeah. you gotta think like, well, what, what you know, and, and there were, you know, I, I'm going to guess there were two, three or four people on the Bones Brigade who were who objected to that part being in the video mm-hmm. uh, you know I can make some guesses and don't know who they are for sure um you know I remember kind of sheepishly asking Stacy about sponsorship and um you know I don't think he said no I just didn't get a yes mm-hmm. let's see I did ride um some Powell decks off and on but they were usually boards that I reshaped to my own liking Um, and I also remember that in 2007, that was kind of my, like my last hurrah as a, as an active performer, I got hired to perform in, in this, uh, odd little show that Cirque du Soleil produced. Oh, wow. Wow. 
there's a short-lived production called Windhoek that existed uh, only in New York City in the wintertime for two or three seasons. Uh, this was the, the first and only time that Cirque du Soleil had worked with skateboarders. Well, definitely the first. I think it might still be the only time. Uh, but Powell did ship me a bunch of wheels. Uh, oh, nice. and I, think some, I think some bearings to use in, uh, in that production. And I, you know, I would say that in terms of sponsoring me as a, as a pro freestylist in that era, would have been problematic for a couple of reasons. One important uh, issue was the, the amount of space and the quality of the surface that I needed to like mm-hmm. give a reasonable presentation of, of, of my moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Louisville, Kentucky, that, that was uh, an unusually good space for me. It was very, very big, really high quality cement. I could go fast, take up a lot of space, do a lot of pumping not have to worry about hitting a crack or whatever. I remember going to a contest after that in San Francisco, and I was hoping to compete there. Uh, Sonia Catalano, who just passed away, God rest her soul, had sort of reassured me that the space would be big enough and I would be able to do my thing. And when I got there, it was like really small. Was that the one in the fountain where they drain yeah, the fountain? Yeah. yeah that one. So, you know, I kind of got there and immediately realized like, shit, I can't. I can't do, I, I just sat it out, you know, mm-hmm. I flew out there and I just watched. So that was an issue. Like for, for me to compete, um, a lot of freestyle contests were just held in small little spaces uh, with surfaces like that, you know, a top tile surface. Secondly, I think um, I probably just would have been too far out for them mm-hmm. to, to, you know, include as, as, a, as a member of the team. But yeah, that that never happened. My affiliation with Powell Peralta and the Bones Brigade was, you know, just that that little window where hmm. where Stacy thought it would be good to uh, to showcase something uh, very different in that video. After that, I, I cut a pretty nice video in two thousand two. Is that the four wheels down video? Hold that four wheels down. That was that was supposed to be sort of a warm up for um, you know a. a a series of more that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you, know, you get busy, and you know my focus has really been on um, advanced product engineering, marketing, and sales. Really, since um, middle late nineties. Okay. Uh, I, I'm the founder and owner of a, a company called Seismic Skate Systems mm-hmm. uh, that you know actually incorporated in ninety two and um, started thinking about advanced. Uh, skateboard product engineering as far back as 83. That's what was behind my very first meeting with Stacy Peralta. Mm-hmm. I was trying to talk to him about working together on, on, on product stuff. As you guys probably know, the Flatland freestyle discipline was kind of fading away in yeah. the late 80s. And that's maybe another reason why it wasn't the right time for a company like Powell Peralta to sponsor a, a writer like me. And by, by about 1990 or so, the, the NSA was no longer including Flatland Freestyle in their... In yeah, their, uh, it, it died out, yeah. But it was, it was sort of a natural time for me to shift my focus more and more to um, business stuff. You know, let's, mm-hmm. let's engineer products and get them made and sell them. Given my interest in um, rolling, turning, pumping, you know, my, my first product was uh, a truck that made sharper turns with more energy returns so that it, it pumps better. Got it on the market around 93, 94. Uh, and that too was really controversial at the time. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, things were really different. I guess I had a talent for creating or finding controversy when I was <laughs> So I come along with this, um, this high-tech uh, truck with springs in it. And like, it, you know, it's very well engineered and, and it really works. Like it's very smooth, tight turns uh, with a lot of energy returns, super, you know, the best pumping truck in the world, probably to this day, but it looks different. It looks different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People yeah. get mad. It looks different. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of the, the beginning and the end of the story for a lot of folks, at least back then. At this point in time, Seismic, if you don't mind me plugging the company just for a oh, moment. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, um, do it. You know, we've got a very uh, thorough line of products, wheels, bearings, trucks, boards, grip tape, gloves, slide pucks, skid plates, 
we're nice. one of the few companies making skid plates. Nice. Um, what's uh, the what's the website that people can check it out? Oh, it's uh, www.seismicskate.com, and that's spelled S-E-I-S-M-I-C, like seismic waves or earthquakes, and skate singular, so seismicskate.com, no S at the end of skate. I had a question about uh, Four Wheels Down. You worked with, um, I'm always saying his name incorrectly. I think you may know Robert Catilla filmed that with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he was uh, another, you know, former Powell Peralta filmer. How, how did that come and, together? You know, it was kind of random that, you know, he was living in Boulder at the same time I was. Oh, gosh, darn it. I'm trying to remember how we connected. It was not through anybody at Powell. This was really just a very random accident. Darn it, I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> just a random happenstance. It might have been somebody else in Boulder who, who knew I was looking for a filmmaker. It's like, hey, you know, talk to this guy. But yeah, I, I met up with Robert and uh, we worked together on Four Wheels Down. But good guy. And again, we had plans to do more. And now I remember one of the issues was that I didn't have the budget to keep working with him. Oh, wow. you know, he, he's, you know, he was at a high professional level. And back then there weren't iPhones, you know, if you wanted yeah. to make a video, it was some yeah. specialized equipment and, and a guy with a lot of training who expects a high hourly rate for his, mm. his, his work. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was one of the reasons, um, uh, sure. I think he's still in Boulder. I, I need to reach out to him. So are you still, uh, do you ever get out and and ride these days are you still skating do you ever get on the freestyle board at all or do anything um, or push around or just a little bit most of the skating i do is um is uh testing samples and prototypes gotcha and i i have uh, an i have arguments with myself about this all the time I'm like dan come on get out there i do keep myself really fit in the gym so I know that uh, it's with it's it's in theory it's within striking distance. Yeah, uh, yeah. For me to like get back into it, and um, you know, every year it's like I I, I have a talk with myself. Okay, like this spring, this yeah. is this is when we're gonna do it, and then other stuff happens. It's usually a lot of work, but I, yeah, I might yeah. still have a few tricks up my sleeve. I don't know. <laughs> that would be awesome, man. I think that would be cool. Yeah, Daniel Gesmer returns. Jumping back to uh, public domain real quick, a couple more questions. The, the skating we're seeing, is that like a routine that you had developed or are you just kind of improvising, you know, your maneuvers when those guys were, were filming? Oh, in public domain? Yeah. Um, oh, that was completely choreographed and structured. Okay. So there's a song playing in the roller rink? I'm, oh, no, no. Okay. That, no? Was, that was later on afterwards. Okay. So I, I didn't know if you were, I, you said there was no sound, but I'm just trying to envision like through the roller rink sound system, there was a song playing or something like that. There, there was no, uh, no uh, music playing when I, when I was recording Actually. the sequence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was all totally uh, storyboarded. Um, and I was the guy who did that because I'm like, you know, super OCD perfectionistic. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and I was directing the camera guys like, okay, be about here. And I'm going to do these moves right, right in this line. We're going to capture that phrase. Mm -hmm. Wow. Movement sequence. And then, then we're going to move on and do this other movement sequence from this other angle. And I knew in my head, you know, it was planned, like it's going to come together in the editing room. We're going to connect the dots and it's going to look like a carefully choreographed routine that shot for multiple angles. Yeah. So you did some, some of the, uh, I guess there was like an interview that was happening too. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So yeah. was that was that shot at that same time? Was that like uh, shot there? Was it shot, sort of shot at about the same time, but in a studio back okay. in Washington. There's a mistake I made a couple of times in my life. I'm not doing it today. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll edit it out if you do. Don't worry. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll, I'll tell you. Is <laughs> it's it, so I didn't ask you guys to tell me any of the questions you wanted to ask. Cause it's fresher. It's more authentic. It's more, um, it's more interesting. Even if it's just all cold and extemporaneous for, for that, you know, little interview, uh, for public domain, like I, I wrote a script for myself and it was like two pages long. It was nutty. And, you know, I, I just like read off the whole thing for 
you know, to, in front of the camera. And I'm okay. sure I can imagine like Stacy Peralta seeing this and going, oh, shit, like this is so this is so stale. And like, <laughs> yeah. Man. Did he yeah. ask you for some voiceover or was that something that you just wanted to include? I think he asked me to say something. Yeah, yeah, he did ask for that. Yeah, because mm -hmm. there's quite uh, a few of the other skaters in that video that kind of do some introduction voiceover type right. stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't remember if he asked me like, hey, Dan, answer this question and that question. I don't remember. He may have just said like, hey, you know, say something. And so, you know, that's what I did. He got like, you know, two minutes or more of me just like lecturing. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, he pulled out a few, a few comments that, that sort of worked. And then um, uh, fast forward like uh, 15 or not quite 15 years, uh, the, the Dogtown and Z-Boys documentary. Stacy asked me to sit for an interview for that. Oh, wow. Really? And uh, I think one of the reasons is that I've, I've done a lot of writing over the years about uh, the movement arts of various types. Um, ballet, modern dance, circus, ice skating for, you know, some pretty serious publications, the New York Times, LA Times, specialty arts magazines, museum exhibition catalogs. So, you know, I've got a, as you can tell, I'm a little bit verbose. I've got a vocabulary to talk about kinetic art forms from different perspectives. And I think Stacy thought, well, Dan might have a few interesting things to say about uh, the Z-Boys. And I actually had some interesting thoughts, I, I, I believed at the time, that might have been worth sharing. But I made the same mistake uh, where, you know, before I flew out to L.A., this was at one of the, one of the fin final action sports retailer trade shows, I think. Stacy had rented out, a, rented out a hotel room to do interviews in. Mm -hmm sort of a convenient time a lot of people are gathering at those trade shows to interview and got he was even kind enough to let me crash in that room one or two nights because i didn't have a place to stay but i made that same mistake instead of just speaking off the cuff i, I wrote a fucking script <laughs> and um you know uh, so it was just, and and you know i was kind of nervous about that because that was kind of a big thing and if memory serves i think i was like the first guy who sat for for him and yeah and, I, and i'm just like reading off this script and it must have been horrible and i feel bad about it to this day i owe i never really apologized to him but i should that you know i i had some interesting thoughts that were unusable mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah it's like this you know this professor professorial guy reading off of the script i think i think the camera guy absolutely hated me um, <laughs> but uh yeah, so I I learned uh, I learned that lesson twice. Like, don't don't try to script it too much. Hey, did you go to the public domain premiere? You know, I I did not, and I'll tell you why. There was a scheduling conflict with a big family reunion for for my my family, my dad's side of the family, the Gesmers, and I I even was the guy who put together like the reunion booklet. So yeah, I just I made a choice, and I I think it was the right choice to prioritize the the family reunion and that was kind of a special thing the last time a lot of us saw some very elderly relatives including a, an aunt i think or a great aunt who's 99 and i also uh you know i realized that if i had gone to that premiere at age 25 it might have been really difficult for me to deal with whatever the reaction was when my part came on whether it was laughter or jeers or i don't know I, I don't know what happens. Mm -hmm. but, um, I, I, it might have been um, kind of painful for me. So may, maybe it's for the best. Yeah. You touched on it a little bit, the board you're riding in the video. So that's just like a complete kind of custom board. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Back then, yeah, I was riding some very uh, unusual setups. And, you know, this was, remember, this was an era where there wasn't much available outside of um, Street Pool Park. And I, I guess in the late 80s, they were all kind of the same thing. Like um, what they what people thought of as street boards back then was kind of just your vert board. Yeah. yeah. Maybe right. it was a touch smaller, but street boards were a lot bigger. You know, they weren't they weren't like seven and a half, eight inches like they are now. Uh, and they were they were longer and they had like a real nose. And you know maybe a shaped nose and yeah very different. So it looks very flexible kind of in the in the video. Maybe you I'm know, just not I, remembering I, correctly. 
Not really. Uh, the decks I was using back then were, um, they started out as blank boards from made in the 70s. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I think uh, I found a stash of these things at a big distributor in Illinois called, it was called AWH. Yep, I remember them. I think they're still around, not not nearly as dominant as they used to. They were the, the oldest and biggest skateboard distributor in America for ages, and they got overtaken gradually by other enterprises. But they, they had a little stash of these old, these old blanks. And what I liked about them was that they, they had a little rocker to them, uh, you know, very classic 70s, mid-70s kind of vibe. And they were kind of fat. They were, they were, they were a little bit long, a little bit wide. So they were very friendly to like cutting down a smaller shape. I did a lot of experimenting with uh, shapes and sizes of boards cut from those blanks. And I kept going smaller and smaller. What I was discovering for myself at the time was that as the board got smaller, it got narrower, as the wheelbase got got shorter, it took a more and more precise touch, but the, but the, the board responded quicker with, with, in a way, more power. You know, there was there was sort of a limit, like how how uh, how small I could take it. But I think by the time I, I cut the Powell Peralta uh, the, uh, uh, footage, it might have been only 26 inches long. OK. Uh, and maybe only 6.5 inches wide. Whoa. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. I could uh, tell it wasn't just like, say, like a Rodney Mullen deck or something like oh. that. I could tell it was like something that I hadn't really seen before. Yeah. Very different. Um, and then I used, uh, I was using uh, the trucks I was using were, uh, if memory serves, I, I liked trackers back then because uh, they had what I, what I thought was like the, the smoothest, cleanest turn. Uh, maybe they didn't turn quite as, quite as tightly as an indie but they, they had a smoother response. Okay. And so I was using, I think, the, um, the plastic tracker base plates and either the plastic mid-track hangers or like the magnesium hmm. mid-track hangers. And then bushings was like, you know, four different bushings, each from a different brand, different durometer. It was just like crazy mixture of bushings that mm -hmm. would give me like, just what I wanted in the rear truck and just what I wanted in the front truck. Wheels, I was using, um, I was an early uh, uh, advocate for small, hard wheels for flatland freestyle. And, and you know, starting in the early 80s, I think. And back then, it was hard to find wheels that were like 100A or close to it. Yeah. So I was using wheels that had been made in the 70s. I still have some of them for uh, indoor quad artistic roller skating. Interesting. And they were like 54 millimeters tall, about 100A, I think. I believe the brand was Z Feral. Hmm. I don't know if there was ever any connection with, with Z Flex. And um, yeah, uh, you couldn't find wheels that small and that hard back then. You had to go to, you know, what were the quad artistic roller skaters using in the roller rink? Um, it kind of has a race shape, you know, sort of a, you know, not, not rounded lip. So I was using those wheels, which, which gave a, a lot of quickness and that, that was kind of my setup. Uh, did that answer your question? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I talk a lot. No, that's cool. I mean, it's cool to hear about stuff like that, you know, yeah, just experimenting with different things to, yeah. to get it right. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to ask about, I believe the name of the band is Bloodbath64. Used your footage for their music video? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a pretty uh, interesting effect, you know, like a painting, um, you know, kind of kind of look to your footage. So I was just wondering how they came across that and got the, you know, got your permission for that and stuff. You're, you're remembering things that I've forgotten already. I think that was like, was that two, three, four? That was before the pandemic. Yeah, they just kind of contacted me out of the blue, like, hey, we want to do this thing. I'm trying to remember the name. There's a special name for that treatment where they they kind of take real video or film footage and almost cartoonify it. Mm -hmm. It's sort of this shaky cartoonification. There's a special name for it that I should remember. And I remember the um, the band that the sort of there was like this band name. And then within the, the band, there's like this project thing that they're doing and the project had its own name and I had, I had all those details straight long ago. Yeah. yeah they just 
looking at the description in the YouTube and, you know, I was just like, is this the name of the album or the band or the song or the guest vocalist? You know, there was like so many like sub names attached to it. It got confusing. I need to bookmark the YouTube page. I, I forgot that even existed. But um, anyway, yeah, they just sort of contacted me out of the blue and I, I was really didn't know what to make of it. And I asked uh, um, uh, for some advice from, did I talk to a lawyer? I, I think I talked to somebody with some legal expertise because, you know, I didn't know like, where, where is this going? And it turns out it's a pretty small thing that they're doing. It's not like they made any money on it. So in the, in the end, um, you know, I just signed some simple document that said, hey, yeah, good, good to go. If you get rich, come back to me. We'll, we'll, you know, negotiate something. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, they were very nice. And I think I'm, I think I'm still connected on Instagram to um, the gal who did the singing. I think. Okay. Yeah, I watched the video. I liked the song. I thought it was I thought it was a cool song, and I thought the the treatment they did to your footage was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I never met any of them. It's mm-hmm. just some emails and a, a phone call or two. And well. Matt, did you have any any more questions? No, I think that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I I, I think there are, there's lots of people that will be really excited to hear from you and like just kind of hear you talk about this thing and hear you talk about you know your career, but also this moment in time that everyone everyone who listens to this show certainly is is aware of the of the your segment in public domain. It's a it's a legendary part, you know for for whatever you know for whatever better or for worse or for however you want to look at it i mean but i think people will be very excited to hear hear you talk about it and you know oh hopefully i don't know if clear clear the air is the word but hopefully like lots of people will walk away from this going like i should give that part a a second look you know what i mean or a 500 look (laughs) yeah i would recommend any anyone listening go uh, type in you know 87 uh, dreams of a lifetime to get the to get the full version of the you Definitely. know public domain is just you know maybe a minute so you kind of get the full video and i'm glad that you made that available because you know i would never came across that at one point and i was super stoked to see that you know oh yeah for years i all i had i i had like 20 or, or 50 copies of of my edit uh, on VHS cassettes because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like that's before the internet that's what you that's how you could send somebody a video and I would I would send people copies of that all the time but it was really great when um, uh, you know YouTube sort of matured to the point where I could I could post that up there and share it with the world well it's it's very kind of you guys to to uh, say everything you've said about me and what I've tried to do over the decades. And if I have to describe myself in, in just a few words, I call myself a hardworking dreamer or maybe a stubborn dreamer. And I've been just that as both a skater and a product developer and, and small company brand owner. To all of you out there who've been listening, I appreciate your, uh, your interest and attention. And ho- hopefully uh, some of this is interesting and thought provoking and anybody i've offended apologies (laughs) we're all all just doing our best and bumbling along trying to trying to contribute a little something to making the world a a better or more interesting place uh trying to trying to do some good there you go thank you so much dan for taking the time to uh join us today it's been it's been awesome to meet you it's been great real honor real honestly it's a it's amazing to talk to you and uh I'm very, very excited that we got to do this. So thank you very much. Well, you're most kind. And thank you guys for what you're doing. Oh, cool. No problem. It's been a lot of fun. It's It's great to see that you're still out there and you're still in the industry and you're still like pushing it and doing your own thing and like, you know, trying to uh, advance the, the type of skateboarding that you're clearly passionate about, whether or not the rest of the skate universe is keyed into it yet or not. Like you're just there doing it no matter what. And that seems to be on brand Daniel Gesmer. So try to stop me. And eventually, (laughs) eventually I'm going to get to some advanced engineering for street pool and park. There it is. It's coming. So kind of you guys to reach out and do this and, and um, you know, keep, keep doing this. Wow. That was that was incredible to so get cool. get some of that history. Yeah. I love it, man. Like he's, he's like, just, you know, like I said, 
earlier, but it's like he's just still just marching to the beat of his own drummer, you know? Yeah. Yep. Uh, which is exactly what he was doing back then. And he's just doing it still. So, yeah. Yeah. So awesome. hopefully uh, people enjoyed hearing some details on public domain and, and his background and stuff that help give a little more insight to that video part. Kind definitely. of a definitely like a, a polarizing video part. Maybe the mm -hmm. polarizing is the not the right word, but I would say that's a probably probably a pretty apt word for it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I just didn't know if that sounded too harsh or not. I'm not sure. Yeah, but anyway. yeah, man, super psyched to talk to Dan. Definitely. Thanks, yep. Dan. Yeah. Thank you. So moving on, it's time for the Bones Brigade audio show mailbag. And we still don't have a a, a stinger. Stinger. What's going on? People. We're gonna run out of episodes. We're gonna have it. Yeah. We're gonna we'll have get it, it on like the last, last episode. One. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to go back and, and put it yeah. into all the. All Does the anyone episodes. out there have an electric guitar and and a garage band on their computer? Can't just <laughs> rip a little solo and send it in or something. We should just use a uh, little surfing with the alien for the uh, yeah for the stinger. Yeah, or maybe we'll just ask him to write a write a original for us. Satriani. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He'd do it. Yeah. Satch. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. After all the all the love we gave him on the <laughs> tour episode, he's probably just <laughs> yeah chomping at the bit to write two idiots a stinger for their podcast. Yeah. Okay. So our first uh, piece of correspondence here is actually from the UK from Attitude Skate Shop in the United Kingdom. Loving the content. Like yourselves, I grew up on the Bones Brigade videos, starting with Future Primitive, and then going to Animal Chin, Public Domain, and Band This Premieres here in London. And then I got a job in 1990 as the UK H Street team manager. And later wow. in 1995, I started Panic Skateboards, and then in 1996, Blueprint Skateboards. Wow. Yeah, I know Blueprint. Awesome. Yeah. I know H Street. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Now I run a skate shop here in the UK called Attitude. So still here in the industry after 32 years that started back in 86 with Future Primitive. Anyway, thanks again for you guys doing what you're doing. And I'm really looking forward to the band this podcast. Also, please tell me you'll be covering the Stacey Peralta, Tim Simonon attack video. We are definitely we are doing going to attack. be cover that video. Yeah, it's coming up pretty soon. Yeah, actually. Definitely. Yeah. Wow, Thanks, that's man. great, man. He went to those premieres and worked for yeah. H Street. That's some pretty wild stuff. That's legit. That's yeah, for sure. Cool. Thanks for Thanks, writing man. in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If we're ever uh, in the UK, definitely drop by. Yeah, we'll hang out. out. Yeah, definitely. All right. So we got uh, a uh, Instagram account, I guess, named Brand Builder. Um, okay. No name, but Brand Builder says new episode is phenomenal, guys. Everything I've always wondered or thought about, you nailed it. Can you just use your influence to get Paul to reissue those rat bone sweatpants? <laughs> Freaking loved it. Love it. Uh, we'll do our best. Uh, I found my vibe at 10 years old public domain and it all took off from there. Thanks again. So yeah. Awesome. Thanks, yeah. They did those sweatpants maybe like. I have a pair. Yeah. Four or five years ago, mm -hmm. they re remade those and I got some uh, rat bone ones for Christmas. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I bust those ones. out. But what sucks is no pockets. No like, pockets. Yeah, dude. Completely not functional. I People know. have cell phones and car keys now. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. So they need to reissue the ones that have pockets. They yeah. need to reissue the red. Yeah, those the red, red ones. Frankie Hill banned this red ones so I can run my proper kit. But man, I wish we really did have some influence on Powell. We could just start yeah. just tell him to make some stuff and... Oh, what I'd have happened? a whole laundry list of things. Oh, yeah. I need some, I need crossbone wheels. Like, we need, cro no dude, we need crossbones. I need street bones. I need, I need a, a Lance Mountain crest. I need a Lance Mountain family. Yeah. I need a hieroglyphic deck. Yeah. I love that board, man. That's that a good ruled. one. Yeah. yeah. So many, so many, dude. Yep. Hawk, street hawk. We could, oh, man. we could do a whole episode of just shit that they should reissue. <laughs> Definitely. 89 World Tour jacket. Yeah. So have that back. Yeah, how many yeah. of those would they sell if they made those those jackets? You know, that's true. Yeah. And now we're living in a time where you can actually buy jackets that like fit well and look good. They're not just like these big cardboard windbreakers. Yeah. So, those like yeah. gas station jackets or yeah. whatever they were. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, good call when we get that in, uh that uh influence over Paul Peralta, which I'm sure will be soon. We will get you some sweatpants. Mark Z writes, hey, Shredders, really enjoying the show. Got back into skating just over a year ago, stopping in 89, after stopping in 89. 
I noticed one of you is from St. Louis. I attended skate camp there in 1987. It was sponsored by a shop called Island Water Sports. Oh, wow. It was insanely fun and have some funny stories involving some of the pros, camp counselors. Wondering if you were familiar with this camp or even possibly attended. Thanks and keep shredding Mark Z. Wow. Well, that one's for, for you. That's You're for the me. St. Louis guy. I, I was not at the Island Water Sports camp, but I was aware of it. Um, and Mark, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you go to YouTube, you if you're from St. Louis, I'm sure you remember it. There was a there was a news segment called Pertzborn's People and put in Pertzborn's People skateboarding or something like that. And there is a whole segment on that him at the Island Water Sports uh, ramp, which is really hilarious. So if you don't know about that, go check it out. But yeah, yeah, um, I wasn't there for that. That was kind of the year before I got into skating. I really kind of started in, in 88. So uh, I wasn't there. But if I remember right, um, Larry, I sent you that video. Was it Jeff Hedges, yeah. I think, was uh, one of the counselors? Yeah, it looked like Jeff Hedges. Um, Mickey Elba was, Mickey was Alba. in the clip. Yeah. Um, Monty Nolder, I think. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah. Other, some other guys they showed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to, we'd love to hear your, your skate stories uh, involving some of the pros that were the counselors. So go ahead and send us a follow-up email and we'll, uh, we'll check it out. That sounds awesome. So was that the only year they did the camp that, do you know? I, I think so. I mm -hmm. think, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they I could be wrong about this. Um, but I believe that that, that ramp kind of existed for a while. Cause I think that that it was used for those like contests, right? Some of those contests. Yeah. Like the, yeah. V, the VP fair, uh, contests and stuff, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, thanks Mark. Very cool. Good to meet another, uh, another St. Louis and glad to see you're, uh, back into skateboarding. And, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, that's awesome. So keep it up. And there it is, my friends. That's the mailbag for this episode. We're uh, going to cap it at three and, uh, but thanks again to everybody who's written in, who continues to write in and we, we really appreciate it. It's good stuff. Yeah, we love it. Um, if you want to send us an email, the easiest way to do that is go to our website at thebonesbrigadeaudioshow.com and click on our contact page and you can just type in your email and hit send and we will get it. Or I guess, you know, just, you know, reach out through Instagram too, which is the Bones Brigade Audio Show and uh, we'll get it. So to wrap up the show today, um, I've got a special song to play at the end. Uh, Mike V reached out a few days ago and let us know about a new musical project he has. And he's been putting out a ton of music lately yeah. under all kinds of various um, project names. Um, but this one is a collaboration with Matt Baxter, who is a, a gentleman that he's collaborated with in the past. And the new group is called The Morning Trail, and they have a new album out. Uh, that's streaming and available for download. The album is called Walking with Coyotes and the song is called Lance Mountain. So it's very fitting, uh, I think, to play on our show. Um, if you guys want to check it out, check out themorningtrail.com and I think everyone will uh, really enjoy this song and uh, pay attention to the lyrics. I think you'll find it uh, very relatable. Check out the song and uh, enjoy it. And we'll be back soon with a new episode. But until then, I'm Larry. And I'm Matt. Reminding you to never stop searching for Chin. Have a great night. I've got my black Chuck Taylors. I've got my bleached out jeans. I've got my black flag shirt And I got my head shaved clean I've got my lyric notebook Dr. Do from the fountain I've got some big ideas And I got my Lance Mountain I've got pressure magazine Maximum rock and roll I've got my
I still got my 